0: Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Well, it might be evening or afternoon where you are. I'm Mitch, and I'm here with Murray today. How's well, it going? Yeah, good, mate. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Um, Murray, oh, look, Sunday, you gave us a great insight into <laughs> your life as a frugal man,
0: but not when it comes to skincare. Yeah, man, I think you, I gotta, you gotta you gotta live at large sometimes. Well, this is the thing, man. I have very dry skin. Okay. <laughs> my my dad has like incredibly bad eczema. He literally would um, have eczema but so bad as a kid. That he couldn't go to school sometimes oh, really? like his mom would be like yeah you can't yeah, go to school because wow. his skin would actually be cracked so i didn't inherit it that bad but if i don't look after my skin which mitch is the largest organ of your body yeah, that's true <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> Things get thing, things go south very quickly things okay. start to crack and peel and be very painful so it is th- that is the justification of my bougie skincare routine <laughs> of multiple moisturizers face oil it's fantastic you really you should try it sometime mate don't It'd know you horrified
1: seeing Murray my, my skincare routine consists of if I have some dry skin on my face I might get the the baby stuff that rachel uses for marcus and yeah. put on my that's yeah. about it
0: i mean look I, i've i've also used the uh yeah the pseudo cream before on the particularly bad it's oh, amazing it's it's, it's, it's magic zinc, yeah. it's, it's just zinc cream it is, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's amazing so yeah no look i um i i, I have no shame in my skin in my skincare <laughs> i need it my body's a temple i know i know that versus out of context right now <laughs> you know Priests took after looked after the temple and the yeah. tabernacle. They they anointed that with oil. So I got to anoint my body with oil.
1: Yeah, no man, <laughs> that's good. Uh, but you did segue really well from your skincare routine <laughs> to the um, the oils that the priests use. Yeah. And so yeah, do you want to unpack that a little bit more? Like, yeah. I found what you were talking about just super fascinating. Like oh. the types of oils that were yeah. used. Yeah.
0: For the priest. No, thanks, man. I mean, look, I should credit where credit's due. Um, the Bible Project did an amazing series. I think even just earlier this year on anointing. So there's, I think, a seven. So that was that was a Bible Project because so it was uh,
1: a different voice.
0: Um, oh, so that was yeah. They've they've gotten a I don't know African American woman to okay. get in there and do some stuff. I assumed um, it was someone different. I was Yeah, it's like, oh, like a different. Bible yeah. No, thing no, they've now. gotten they've gotten an exterior animation company. And gotten somebody else to do the voice over stuff Other than Tim Mackey and John Collins So it feels like it's not Bible Project Yeah But it is Bible Project Yeah, yeah, yeah But um, no, so on top of that video, which Mm. is awesome They, um, a lot of the time when they do theme videos Do like a whole podcast series So there's seven episodes on anointing, tracing the theme All the way from Genesis to, you know, essentially Jesus Mm. Um, And yeah, that was really insightful when they were talking about you know in exodus that recipe that they used and i think that that's one thing that time and again i'm really struck by in um, sort of the Moses narrative mm. as the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness. Um, we know that the Egyptians supposedly gave them lots of gold and stuff for their journey. Um, so they they did have, you know, some beautiful treasures and, and wealth with them. Um, but despite that, you know, I mean, they're, they're worrying about food on a daily basis. They're worrying about water. They're worrying about, you know, on the Maslow's hierarchy of need, Um <laughs> rich fragrant oil and um, beautiful ornate priestly clothes and um, you know beautiful um, paraphernalia in the tabernacle of different menorah essentially and Mm. even you know the curtains and all of this seems very superfluous Mm. and yet God is sort of pointing out, I think, <laughs> that this is this is the most important thing, mm. um, and I think that there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, it's really interesting to think about what he places value on in just the resources that you put into things, um, and then on top of that, the ornate beauty mm. and the almost abundant beauty and um, yeah, just, just the, the real lavish nature that he wants us to or wants the Israelites, mm. at least in that moment, to put into the anointing oil, into everything that they're making for him. Um, I just think it says a lot about what God's heart is for mm. abundance.
1: Yeah, I think it speaks to a lot into beauty, because mm. oil represented obviously, like beauty. I think Esther, they described that whole process of the the ladies getting prepared for Queen yeah. Wood, if that's a word. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> for Xerxes, yeah. They're like oil was a huge part of it. There's a Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I probably one of the things as Western Christians we're a bit guilty of is not appreciating beauty or seeing it as disconnected from our faith. And Yeah. I think of like Genesis and Eden. There's yeah. certainly a lot of beauty there. Yeah. And definitely the, the Exodus journey is The tabernacle's meant to represent a portable Eden. It makes sense that there's a sense of abundance and anointing and oil and yeah, all tied in beauty around
0: that. Well, again, I think it comes back a little bit to what I mentioned about us being overreactive to, I think, Mm. not just a secular culture that, you know, overvalues beauty in its own way, but also as Protestants probably being overreactive to, let's be real, like the Catholic Church, (laughs) (laughs) um, that... You know, it's tricky It's tricky I I, I feel a lot of tension There are a lot of people Who visit the Vatican And go to St. Peter's Basilica Mm. And are just disgusted (laughs) Really By the amount of wealth Mm. um, That this establishment has So it's tricky Like I I see that point of view. Mm. And I understand how when there's so much poverty and and, you know, really simple, you know, problems that can Mm. be fixed, you know, by essentially money just feeding people Mm. and and very simple healthcare um, to people who are living in impoverished countries. Um it it can be very jarring to walk into, you know, let's just go for, you know, the the tall poppy, you know, the Vatican and see just this crazy amount of wealth in there. Mm. And yet I I think we need to find a balance. Mm. And I I think that the answer isn't to swing so far the other way, that we are rejecting beauty, that we are almost intentionally always adopting an aesthetic of frugality, Mm. of, you know, an aesthetic sort of pulled back, um, cannot enjoy anything. I think that um, very interestingly... Um, Jesus's other anointing ceremony, which is more pointing towards his death, mm. um, the the sinful woman or Mary, mm, depending yeah. on which of the gospels you're reading. Um, the disciples are really condemning and, and the Pharisees, mm. if you know, in the ones where it's Simon the Pharisee, yeah, yeah. not Simon the leper, but <laughs> you know, this idea, there is this condemnation of this mm. woman's act of pouring out this alabaster jar of perfume over Jesus. And they literally say, like, you could have fed the poor with this. Yeah. You know, like that is their immediate <laughs> response. And Jesus corrects them. He goes, you know, the poor will always be with you, the hungry will mm. always be with you, but I will only be here for a short time. So there is tension in that, that it was a really special moment of, again, another type of anointing with Jesus. But yeah, I don't know. I think we've got to find that tension better Mm. of leaning into that lavish beauty um, in ways which honor God and point Mm. us towards his majesty and his beauty. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if beauty is not important, like why are there just stunning sunsets? You know, why does food taste so mm. good? Like it could just be fuel for our bodies. You mm. know, what a smell. I mean, mm. you know, the, the beautiful smells that we get. It just mm. points to a creator who values beauty mm. and wants it to be part of creation and wants us to enjoy it. So, mm. yeah.
1: Well, and it's a tension that you identified with David mm. when um, when Samuel is presented with Jesse's sons. Um, Libabad is tall, kind mm. of like a Saul. Like, yeah. oh, this guy's tall. He's the oldest, surely. Yeah. And then it's like, no, nah, it's not him. And they go through all seven and it's like, yeah. And that classic passage of, you know, people look on the outside, God looks at the heart. Yeah. <laughs> and we're told David is... Actually, I love the King James
0: translation. He was ruddy. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, what does ruddy mean? <laughs> I mean, look, it's there's like a, a whole yeah. well, the like Hebrew is Adamoni, yeah. Which people, like uh, some people are like, is that a take back to Adam? This idea yeah. that he's being pointed out as a new Adam because the only other person in the Old Testament who's ruddy is Esau, cool. yeah. who's definitely seen to be like an Edomite, an yes. Adam type. Mm. So is that idea that David was ruddy yeah. pointing towards? I don't know. I couldn't really find enough conclusive evidence yeah, about know. it, it's but I find it very interesting. Yeah, this idea like, of because the reality is in the old testament when somebody's physical appearance is mentioned it's always intentional yeah so it's like why is it mentioned yeah. that he's ruddy and even that you know you you got to be careful of going too far down a rabbit hole because mm. you know depending on the translation some people think that david had red hair some yeah. people think he had glowing red health because he'd been out in the mm. sun some people think he's this special type which i think is probably too far of a stretch of a sort of african-american or african heritage of the red bone the sort of these you know so there's there's a bunch of different like sort of i would almost Mm. say conspiracies (laughs) out there but i find it striking that he's described as being ruddy and Esau is described as being ruddy and that word in the hebrew does have an etymological link back to Adam Adam Adam. The first man Mm. It's very interesting It's
1: interesting that NIV has translated it He's glowing in health And had fine appearance And handsome features Mm -hmm. It's sort of like Yeah Yeah A bit like a Rachel Like Rachel Mm. Is Mm. described as being Very very beautiful And Leah isn't and, so there's a, yeah. and Joseph too He's described as quite handsome So mm. A bit like what you said On Sunday Which I think was helpful Is the Bible doesn't condemn beauty No There's key characters And Esther's no one Who are very beautiful mm. Or very handsome Yeah And that's actually Almost part of God's blessing Upon them For sure Yeah, yeah. yeah. And other times too Characters Don't have beauty and that's also part of, like, yeah, like Leah is described as, well, we don't really know what's wrong with her, but she's not as beautiful as, Ra- as Rachel. Yeah. She's got a weird eye. Or yeah, whatever like, that means. No one really knows. Yeah. She wasn't as beautiful, and yet she's the blessed one. And then the classic Isaiah passage, when it's talking about the suffering servant, yeah. her beauty to behold, is described as, like, yeah, this yeah. sort
0: of ugly kind of.
1: Well, it's yeah, like it disfigure. even it's, kind of goes far yeah. as, like, disfigured, which yeah, yeah. can
0: kind of be a whole thing, yeah. maybe pointing towards the crucifixion itself. Mm. But it's interesting when the um, sort of Roman guards come to arrest Jesus, they need to ask who he is. Yeah, so Which one is Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> not, like, not
1: the one with um, white skin and long hair. Yeah, <laughs> blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if i told you a story, but um, uh, as a previous church, I was talking about what Jesus looked like, and I Googled, like, and the person I showed it to, she was just shattered. She's like, "You've just destroyed Jesus for me." I'm like, "Well, oh. he doesn't have blue hair, long hair, like I mean, I hope he doesn't skin. have blue hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, blonde <laughs> hair, blue eyes, <laughs> yeah, white skin like that was her image of Jesus, and yeah. I said, I just you know you can do you can Google like what Jesus probably looked like and just have a typical yeah. Middle Eastern man, and she was just it literally just broke her worldview. She just couldn't handle it. I was yeah. like, I just don't know, yeah." Uh, what I've done to others. Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting how we have this perception of what yeah uh, Jesus looks like.
0: yeah we're... the other the other note on on David's mm. appearance, which is interesting, is this Id- some translations kind of go with this idea of clear eyes. There's really mm. like these these clear eyes. And again, there's some theories about that going back to the idea of, you know, Adam and Eve, that their eyes were opened. And this mm. idea of, you know, having ha- wisdom, having wisdom yeah. and having clear eyes is sort of this idea that this is somebody who will actually be able to see the truth and be able to see God's desires and not be mm. deceived. So it's interesting, yeah. all these little sort of descriptive things which are pointing oh. towards Probably more than just what he looked like. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, but, um, yeah, it's interesting, like, with, with kind of the narrative of Samuel, which has been a big part of re- sons replacing, mm. like, different. So we start off, obviously, Eli's son's being replaced by Samuel, Samuel being replaced by Saul. Now we come to David replacing Saul, and it's interesting, like, in verse 13 we're told when the oil is poured on david the spirit comes upon Mm. david Mm. and yeah the 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 spirit in the old testament seems that he was upon certain people Mm. who were raised up for certain tasks and so Mm. you've got this change now of david being anointed with the spirit and empowered for ministry and Mm. Saul having the spirit removed yeah and um yeah it continues this sort of downward trend of Saul, now that he's lost the spirit, we sort of see his life begin to unravel mm. where David's, well, yeah. Actually, even last night someone was talking about David and saying, oh, you know, he's one sinner. I was like, eh, actually, there's lots of sins. But uh, the point is, David's life, it gets like better, but you know, there's ups and downs. But yeah. it's interesting the trajectory that Samuel is now setting with the spirit yeah. laid upon someone. Life goes better. Yeah as a whole yeah. without the spirit life sort of crashes and burns
0: and it's interesting because obviously we've spoken about the judges they have mm. these the spirit rush upon mm. them maybe for a moment or for a yeah. season and there's an interesting sort of you know detail in verse 13 that the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day on Mm. This idea that there's this this maybe wasn't such a momentary thing as it has been for characters mm. that we've seen previously, but this is pointing towards a longer dynasty or legacy that he's going to be a part of. Mm. And this is what we see that even ultimately at the end, David still experiences the grace of God, mm. that this anointing that he has obviously falls apart in a lot of ways and Mm. moves on to his son but it does stay within his family line Mm. and there is almost this Abrahamic idea of blessing with David that despite you know this this idea that it had been on Saul it didn't stay on Saul it didn't pass on to Mm. Jonathan that we've kind of spoken about Mm. in I think last week like Jonathan seems like in a lot of ways a pretty good candidate Mm. to come up as the next king of Israel mm. um, but it is David who receives this anointing and the idea that it's not just rushing upon him in a moment but it is with him for the rest of his days mm. is very interesting.
1: It is yeah and especially when we when we in a few weeks time we'll look at um, 2 Samuel 7 and that promise given to mm. David like, it's yeah in the, in the light of Jesus I think we're a bit like oh yeah whatever like we know that's jesus all roads lead to jesus but at the time it's just a remarkable prophecy you're gonna mm. have a, a kingdom that's everlasting yeah um and from like i guess a biblical theological perspective the bible's kind of hinted at different people have tried to build eternal dynasties mm. uh, you've got obviously the tower of babel yeah they're trying to storm heaven essentially by building a stairway to heaven and mm. we meet the uh, the enigmatic inn- Nimrod, who, yeah, yeah according to the kind of different sources, was this mighty warrior, yeah. maybe even like a demigod, sort of yeah. you know, other sources. Although if you um,
0: if you grew up in Looney Tunes, you might just think it means idiot. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, 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 the Nimrod. Bugs Bunny. Yeah, <laughs> Nimrod. Yeah, but yeah, but he's yeah, actually this, this mighty of, warrior. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then you've got Abraham, who's this sort of humble barren well, and he's not barren, but you know, has a barren wife and no sons, and they build a name because mm. that's like, yeah, Abraham's just like ancestor Shem, which yeah, means name, and so now you've got, yeah, David, who's an unusual king,
0: mm. yeah, and definitely, see, like
1: yeah, he's the youngest son, mm. yeah, and I think yeah, I spoke, we've spoken about this on a podcast, but yeah, like the youngest had no social. Status really, yeah, it's a bit like the royal family now. Like, Charles is king because he was first born, yeah, he wasn't his brothers, and and then, the older William, it's William, isn't it? Yeah, I always forget William and Harry, anyway.
0: Um,
1: yeah, yeah, William, William's L. Oh, I'm um, um, you can tell I like know my yeah. royal family. Yeah. Stuff I mean, well. look, you're,
0: you're asking the wrong guy, <laughs> but it is but yeah, interesting that, that did, even yeah. once Charles has kids, he's Brothers, I'm gonna say Andrew. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah. doesn't really, really matter. Are, you get the yeah, idea. Yeah. His brothers get pushed further down yeah. the line, his sisters get pushed further, yeah, further yeah, down the line. This idea that there is so much, and obviously, the English monarch is still mm-hmm. running off that old system. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they've actually only changed it recently. I found this really interesting that, um, William's kids or Will's kids or yeah. whatever, um, Charlotte, who's the second born but a girl, has actually had her position changed so she is. Um, Her younger brothers wouldn't secede her, if that makes sense. So they've like made a a new change that girls have equal claim to the throne um, because of birth order, not gender. So even then, like, even with all of that sort of levels of the way that people get pushed down and moved Mm. around, by the time you get to like the seventh son, you you got no chance.
1: (laughs) So that's where David sits. And it really ties in with the. i guess the big picture of scripture which is god seems to raise up the younger son uh, and yeah like obviously jesus is mary's firstborn but Mm. we get the idea he's yeah a king who's very very different to what we expect Mm. yeah i think we talk about a lot like jesus you know being different king and servant-hearted and But if we actually really, really reflect upon that and the people God chooses, it really should shape how we view life and what God values. And that's why I see out of 1 Samuel 16 is just, yeah, people look at the outside, but God looks Mm. at the heart. And, Mm. yeah, that's still key today our leaders aren't the ones that are tall. I said feel a bit feel a bit like it's you know (laughs) (laughs) Samuel being a tall person myself but yeah this idea of it's not tall it's not like the most handsome it's the heart and yeah yeah, we see that with David he's compared to his brothers he Mm. has the heart and yeah that's who God calls and it just completely
0: flips the script well yeah David's exaltation in this moment is just Again, echoing the H- Hannah song from the very yeah. beginning, that mm. the you know high will be humbled mm. and the lowly will be exalted, and then we sort of yes see see that happen you know time and time again mm. throughout the Samuel narrative. I think that like one thing, which is really striking in all of this, is that we're really like we're, we're up to like chapter sixteen now, and this is like the first moment really that David is like on the scene. Mm. This is the first time we see him. Like we're quite far. We're pretty much halfway Mm. uh, into 1 Samuel, kind of a quarter of a way into the book of Samuel. Um, And I think that, again, that points to, because I think a lot of us can fall into the trap of thinking, oh, 1 and 2 Samuel, that's about King David. It's like, yeah, it is. Um, But it's actually more accurately about the rise and fall of Saul and then Mm. the rise and fall of david it's about the rise and fall of kings mm. um that's more accurately what's about david definitely ends up being the hero of the story yeah. for the most part but that's really that arc that double mm. arc that's happening simultaneously in say, yeah. some ways um at the moment that saul starts to have his fall david starts to have his rise which is really really fascinating mm. i think that you know we are just as guilty today as Christians <laughs> of looking at the wrong things. It may mm. no longer be uh, military skill. Mm. Um, I think it is interesting. I, I heard this statistic that apparently in the history of the United States, there has only ever been one president um, nom- nominated mm. and and winning the election um, who was shorter than his opponent.
1: Hmm.
0: Fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. That's really fascinating. But this idea yeah. that um. I think we've spoken about before, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Mm. And what I really loved about that podcast was, um, look, they did drag it on a bit when I think they realized it was a cash cow. But anyway, the first few episodes are really, really great. But one thing I really liked about the first episode was the question was, well, whose fault is this? Mm. We sort of had this pastor of a mega church who ended up abusing his power, really, um, and, yeah, creating a lot of pain and and damage within that church and within a lot of people's Mm. lives. Um, but they sort of say at the the end of the first podcast that it's a bit like murder on the Orient Express, which is we're trying to figure out Mm. whose fault was it? Was it Driscoll's fault? Was it this senior leader's fault? Was it this person's fault? Um, But yeah, for our, you know, sort of murder mystery fans (laughs) out there, murder on the Orient Express is we all did it. Mm. (laughs) Everyone sort of is guilty of it because we are part still of a Christian, of a Western Christian Mm -hmm. culture that does look for leaders who are charismatic, who are eloquent, who are erudite, who are, you know, mm. just able to communicate the gospel powerfully mm. and see lots of people come to Christ. Um, but that's not the vision that we should be holding on to mm. because very quickly that leader, that senior pastor, that preacher, that communicator becomes a mini God to mm. us.
1: Yeah, That's so true. Yesterday, um, I did um, part of a senior pastor's um, like training program called the Glass House. And we looked at um, values and planning and we went to Georgia's River Life Church. Mm. And so the idea is we go to like churches and get in chat to the senior pastors and like get their experience of what they learned in ministry. And yeah, Scott Morrison, who's there, such a humble dude. the Scott Morrison. I know. Yeah. Scott <laughs> <Sky Mo. laughs> Super humble, like he's built up, like George's River Life Church is like a pretty healthy church, it's got the equivalent of care and concern, like he's pumping and he's just super like, oh yeah, I still don't know what I'm doing, I've been doing this for 23 years, that's like, yeah, that's the type of person you want, and he's like, yeah, I make lots of mistakes, I keep making mistakes, God's grace, really, I was like, that's, and he just said something which really resonated with me, he goes, ah, just because you've seen your pastor doesn't mean you're Superman, he goes, be mm-hmm. vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like let people see you have emotions. Don't be like mm. yeah, you know, unemotional, unavailable. And yeah. I was like, Yeah, that's what I know like I see someone like him I'm like, Yeah, that's what you want from a leader. Someone yeah. who's yeah, like he's a very handsome man for someone who's pushing fifty. Yeah, but yeah, 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 like on the outwardly, like, you know, not like super charismatic, not mm. your type of like mega passage you'd see. Someone who's humble, who's like, Yep, yeah we just do this. Yeah. And just stumbling along in some ways. And yeah think that is important and it is a massive tension is what i find with um doing like stuff like glass houses it's like one sense you need to have these skills mm. like to lead a church but other sense too it's like but also you need god and mm. that's what yeah and i think you point out rightly in this is like yeah in one sense like yeah don't look at his outward appearance but david also is handsome there's a, a, a tension there a balance and david needed the spirit to have skills yeah. to battle. There's not much point if he couldn't fight. Yeah. He, you know, he might not have been a warrior like Goliath, but the mm. guy knew how to use a slingshot, so he had mm. skills. And then yeah. when he is tasked into service for Saul, like David kills his ten thousands and Saul, his thousands. Obviously, yeah. it's probably a bit of a, you know, yeah, yeah. just exaggerating for, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for the poem, but you get the idea the guy has skills and so yeah, there is there is a tension which mm-hmm. I do find hard to balance sometimes of not falling into mm-hmm. like, particularly in the Western Church, of having all these like mm-hmm. businessy type skills and yeah, that's what I love about Scripture. Yeah, it's sort of not yeah, it's a yes but no, maybe it's yeah, it's a it's a balance. It's a tension. Yeah. It's a so.
0: Well, I think there's something mm-hmm. like really really profound there as well in one. Um, When we sort of elevate this idea of perfection and Mm. doing it ourselves and seeing a certain person um, as the answer, Mm. um, we can actually take that pressure on ourselves and Mm. suddenly be afraid of making a mistake. And I think a lot of the time, like you know wisely and 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 Mm. still with a heart for the lord not recklessly but i think god wants us to take risks Mm. like i think god wants us to step outside of our comfort zone and you know still relying on him and you know not not being completely reckless with Mm. finances or resources or people (laughs) um but yeah like take a risk do something new like Mm. you know i i think that this is part of the vision that you know behold i am doing a new thing Mm. um well Yeah, that we we are called into that invitation as well. And I think the other thing is in reality, like, you know, nobody wins a battle and nobody Mm -hmm. builds a church by themselves. Like it takes many faithful people who are part of it as well, Mm. which was kind of part of the, you know, the the big takeaway at Mm. the end of, you know, my sermon that... By, But by, when David was anointed, it was an anointing that was just for him that other people could follow yeah. and sort of almost hang on to the coattails in a lot of ways of his anointing and his blessing and the power of the spirit that was on him. Mm. Um, he was acting as this priestly king that mm. people were really looking to. And really... It is portrayed, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, David only sinned once. Like, that sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, that is seen as the downfall of his, mm. you know, sort of reign as king. Yeah. Um, it is seen as the moment where calamity falls on his mm. household and his own sons and daughters yep. sort of start, you know, just being at war mm. and, and with each other. So, you know there is that pressure that is put on david and the you know the good news of jesus mm. is that anointing that he has being god you know not just a bridge from heaven mm. to earth but heaven come mm-hmm. down to earth He then allows that to all of us so that we are all equally empowered. And it actually, I think, should take some pressure off the leaders (laughs) where it's like, well, hold on, we we all are empowered by the Spirit. Mm. We are all priestly kings and queens, and we are all able to do this work uh, empowered by the Spirit. We all have authority. We Mm. all have wisdom. We all have discernment. I think that structures of leadership are still really helpful because Mm. God loves order. (laughs) And we see that in the very beginning of creation. Um, But it's it's a different paradigm to what mm. we see with David and I think that's just so empowering for us as mm. a church you know that, that there is as I said no fairy dust on us mm. like everyone mm. has yeah. full access to that spirit mm.
1: and that was what was really powerful when you finished the service with everyone anointing each other mm. It's a very powerful gesture and, and like a living parable of mm. what the Holy Spirit has done mm. for us and i uh, What's cool, before we finish, I have to talk about like the next part when yeah. David's anointed, because it's just so fascinating how, because in Samuel, every time a leader's raised up, there's sort of a victory. Mm. So, like Samuel's victory in 1 Samuel, where he's praying, like Saul's victory for Nahash, and David's victory over Goliath. But before that, he has like a sort of, I don't know, a, a spiritual
0: victory, mm. if you want to call That's it a great uh, way to put it.
1: Yeah, because obviously with the spirit. On David, the spirit departs from Saul. And mm. there's a bit of debate about what this evil spirit mm. is, or harmful spirit.
0: It's not that long. Do you, you want yeah, yeah, to read it out? Read out the passage. Here,
1: so this is from 1 Samuel 16, It says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord... Command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. The Lord is with him. <laughs> and Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with your sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, yada yada, yada and David went to Saul. And Saul came. David came to Saul, entered his service, and Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. And Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, "Allow David to remain in my service, for so I am pleased with him." Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Yeah. So it's a. So in terms of that, like, oh, so much happening. There's here. so much there. Yeah. So in terms of that whole son replacing. So, Samuel moves in with Eli and becomes like an adopted son of Eli, basically. And now David's sort of starting that process of becoming an adopted son mm. of Saul. He's moving into his house in w- chapter 17. There's a, there's a few little confusing parts because Saul's like, who is this man? But it seems like the best way to read it is like, well, who whose family is this? Because mm. some people think. So, you're talking about in 17? In 17, after he
0: defeats Goliath, yeah. he asks
1: the question of. Um, yeah. Uh, Joab I think yeah so you David's know, already is, been
0: living in Saul's house yeah, and then playing has, the liar yeah. for him freeing him from these harmful spirits, spirits that God's been sending and then suddenly in the like, next chapter he's like, who is this guy <laughs> Yeah, <you're laughs> like, dude I remember I sat by yeah. your bedside and played the yeah. liar so, like, they, so some commentators think
1: oh like ah it's because the Bible's all stuffed up and anyway and, but some people would say oh he's just asking who is his father to know yes. he's tax exempt so but what's yeah Interesting here, and David acts as like a prototype of Jesus. And I firmly believe this is like an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. Some people argue, oh God couldn't do that. Mm. It's just a bad mood. And we know a in bad one kings. Yeah, yeah, like I've literally listened to a guy. So was said, a little grumpy and David played the liar. a bad mood. <laughs>
0: and <laughs> and then like, he felt good. <laughs>
1: right? Because like their theology can't accept that. And in one Kings yeah. twenty-two, we meet the prophet Mirka, and Miekah he prophesizes against um, King Ahab. Mm. And Ahab's prophesy saying, go to war, go to war. And Ezekiel's like, nah, actually, I saw the heavenly realm. This is 1 Kings 22. And yeah, a deceiving spirit comes up and says, oh yeah, I'll be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of prophets. So Ahab will go to war and be killed. Mm. It's a bizarre passage. So mm. there's a bit of precedent here of God using evil spirits for his purposes. And so... And in my mind, it makes sense that the Holy Spirit has left Saul. An evil spirit now comes upon him. And the irony is, is the man who's replaced him is the one who is the only one who can bring comfort to him. Mm. And so, yeah, there's um, like obviously the Old Testament super violent. We've got, you know, David's slaughtering people left, mm. right and center. But Jesus also is a warrior, mm. just a spiritual warrior. Mm. And so... Yeah, some people have noticed this connection between what David does here, playing the harp, and the evil spirit moving, what Jesus will do with mm. evil spirits. Mm. And so Jesus is a warrior-type figure, mm. but just of a spiritual mm-hmm. nature. And we, these followers, mm. are warriors, but mm. we fight with the gospel of peace, not with literal swords and mm. guns. So, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, and so in a sense, almost like David's sort of first It's showing that as the anointed one, he can overcome evil. Mm. And if we go back to Genesis 3, it's a bit like the serpent. Like he'll crush the head Mm. of the serpent, which Mm. is... Well, David literally cuts off the head of the scaly warrior, Goliath. And so here we're sort of getting these little hints about... Yeah, that the... Well, is this, is this the Genesis 3? Is this the seed of the woman that's mm. going to crush the head of the serpent? Because mm. I, I see that as like the kind of framework of how we're meant to read the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, who is this seed of the woman? We trace. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the Bible does traces who the seed is, mm. which ultimately leads to Jesus. So, yeah, yeah there's a lot there. And mm. yeah, just, just fitting in with that theme of what we said earlier of the proud being brought low, the mm. lowly being raised mm. and how we've got this sort of replacement son mm. theology going on. But yeah, th- there is, yeah, there's a lot of trickiness to that. Like mm. I can see why some people are really uncomfortable with the idea of God <laughs> allowing an evil spirit to torment oh, yeah. soul.
0: And I mean, just, just a little insight. I mean, you yeah. can literally like Google search 1 Samuel 16:14 yeah. interlinear and there's yeah. a great little website called biblehub.com that yeah. literally you know you can read oh, every single bible. passage yeah, in the yeah, bible yeah. and yeah what I'm looking at right here is essentially the Hebrew word in English, the actual Hebrew yes. word, and then the English word, if that yeah, makes yeah, yeah. sense. So um, this like distressing spirit mm. that um, I think this would be the King James version yeah, yeah. that it's referring to, um, Ra, you can then click on that word and it shows you every other time it pops up in mm. the Bible, in the old Testament. And yeah, like time and time again, you can just see that it's translated like to evil, wild, wild, bad like harmful like I think harmful is probably the the tamest sort of thing that I'm seeing here um but yeah like evil is the primary translation of Mm. that word of of ra um and so yeah I think that's kind of the idea. I don't mm. think it's just a, a bad mood that yeah. Saul was in. It
1: feels better after a bit of
0: music. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a whole sermon in itself around, it is, yeah, yeah what, what God allows us to mm. suffer and to endure.
1: And so this will become, and this sort of sets up what will happen after David defeats Goliath because as, as Saul's kind of mental state starts mm. to deteriorate, mm. doesn't matter when David starts playing Saul, starts to escalate. So mm. first David's able to calm in with music. Mm. Mm. then afterwards it's like the music doesn't calm him. he keeps trying to kill him. Not mm. once, but twice, which mm. is just bizarre in my mind. I'm like, what did David do? He just threw the spear and was like, oh, that's a bit odd. I'm mm. <laughs> just going to keep playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just rock on, David.
0: Don't let one heckler get you down, <laughs> mate. The show must go on. <laughs>
1: but, um, yeah, and what what's also ties in with this replacement son sort of theology is we have to go back to Genesis and like, well, actually, we'll go back to Judges first. Like, Benjamin as a tribe is nearly wiped out in Judges. Mm. And they're, yeah, it's quite full on, this civil war. And I think it's interesting that God gives him a king from a tribe that's known mm. in Judges for being not very good. Mm. And now mm. the true son of Israel, like mm. Judah, is mm. in charge because David's from the tribe of Judah. Mm. And so that even ties in with Genesis when... because. Jacob, or Israel's favourite wife, was Rachel. And mm. Rachel only had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Mm. Like, mm. And Benjamin just means son of my right hand. And when Joseph is in Egypt, Benjamin becomes sort of the favourite son. Yeah. Of when in Egypt, Benjamin's kind of treated like a bit of a royal figure. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Judah's the one who gives up his life. He goes, oh, you know, take me instead. Don't let this... And then Jacob, when he gives his blessings over his son, it's actually Judah who will become the king mm. so it's mm. tying in there now the king, the kingship is now in the rightful tribe mm. it's mm. gone to Judah and mm. the repl- the, he's replacing the, the son of my right hand is now mm. Judah so mm. just so much intertwined with scripture so much typology absolutely there. and that's yeah. what I love about scripture is that it, you have to read it all as one kind of big puzzle piece and each yeah. p- obviously each story has its own purpose but it ties in with a bigger yeah. picture and it's important yeah. to sort of Reflective on the past and into the future, how it points to Jesus.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think even again, this story is so striking that, you know, in a, in a world of military might and battles, and we've spoken about before that, you know, military battles, you know, fights Mm. weren't just seen as man versus man Mm. in the old Testament context. It was seen as their God versus our God. So war was seen in its own way as a spiritual thing as well Um, but yeah of of all the ways in which David can you know in in, in his first act as an anointed Mm. one, newly anointed one um, show his spiritual power is through music Mm. it's through playing a lyre And I think, once again, Mm. just the way that God uses beauty even Mm. in this moment in a a powerfully spiritual way and Mm. the sort of spiritual authority that music is seen to Mm. have. And, I mean, you know, as many of us know, King David goes on to write pretty much half the Mm. psalm Psalm, book. Um, So we see him also not only as an anointed king, not only as an anointed priest, but as an anointed artist Mm. and musician. And that seemed to have, you know, great power and great significance in his sort of, Mm. you know, kinghood, I guess. Um, And yeah, just, just another reminder of this importance for us, you know, suddenly jump forward into 21st century um, that music is actually really important to God as well, mm. you know, that beauty music, splendor all of these things, mm. not just bring glory to God, but have spiritual significance mm. um, so yeah, I'm just sort of constantly encouraged as I, you know, go through Samuel and Kings, when you see the ornate beauty and majesty that's put into this, you know gold temple that's mm. built by Solomon God Wants beauty mm-hmm. And the spiritual power That's tied into that mm. It's really striking yeah. Mm. Well, look, I think I think we did it, man. We did. I, th- I think we got <laughs> through it. We um, we're having a a little uh, break this week from um, Samuel this Sunday. What's uh What's going on? We got so a special guest. We do
1: have a special guest. We have. Oh my goodness, I've had a mind blank of what his name is. Oh, this guy. A, f- a friend from
0: a Open friend Doors. Friend from Open Doors. <laughs> <laughs> Joel. That's Joel. it, Joel.
1: That awesome. So to complete my sorry, Joel, if you're listening, I remember Jordan, but Joel, Jordan <laughs> and Jordan, Joel. So Joel from Open Doors is coming out. Love and it. Uh, So Joel is going to... So on Sunday is actually the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So I managed to line that up really well for Joel from Open Doors to come out. And he's just going to share some stories of the persecuted and how we can be praying. Um, Mm. Yeah, I think what I really love about Open Doors is that they obviously... Like a lot of Christian organizations advocate for, you know, persecuted Christians, but... Yeah, their, their ministry philosophy is not a fear, not to fear or hate their neighbours, which is it's easy to kind of fall into, like, ah, oh, Islam taking over, or, you know, wokeism is destroying. They go, hey, this is bad, what's happening? But mm. we keep loving our neighbours, we keep serving, mm. and we keep loving on Christians. And so, yeah, Joel's mm. going to be sharing some stories about that and to encourage our faith. So, yeah. It'll be
0: exciting I found Jordan's uh, Sort of visit to us Really encouraging (laughs) last year So looking forward to hearing What Joel has to share Yeah Yeah, Well thank you Murray Thanks for the chat
1: right, We'll see everyone Bye
0: Thanks so much for joining us Don't forget to rate And subscribe To help others discover this channel Check out the description If you want to find out more Or get in touch with us At the Centre Dural But in the meantime Praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.